Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. Good evening and welcome to tonight's Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, November 5th, 2020, and I am so glad that you are here, that we are together to study together with all the other distractions in the world that are available at this moment, we have chosen to be able to study together and I'm deeply grateful to you for this opportunity to be with you. When I first considered this week's Parsha at the beginning of this week, I must confess I felt a little bit down. Our Parsha begins with the beautiful mitzvah of Bikr Cholim, of visiting someone who is sick. Vayera elav Hashem, and God appeared to Avraham, God appeared to Abraham. And Rashi quotes the famous insight of our sages, why did God appear to Avraham? To visit him because he was not feeling well. And from here we learn from God himself, the mitzvah to visit someone who is sick. Also at the beginning of the Parsha, we see the mitzvah of showing hospitality to guests, especially to strangers. As Avraham welcomes and invites three strangers into his home. Like you, these mitzvahs are central to my social and religious life. And both of these mitzvahs are unavailable to us now because of COVID. But I quickly realized, of course, that in essence, lifting the spirits of someone who is not well and making sure someone you know or someone you do not know feels connected to you and appreciated by you does not require in-person contact. Both of these can be accomplished by phone, by text, by Zoom. And so we should not feel that we need to miss out on the essence of these beautiful mitzvos. And at the same time, there are deeper dimensions to both of these practices. And I'd like to suggest to you that not having the opportunity to do this in person now can allow us to focus this week on a deeper understanding of these two practices that is extremely relevant to us right now. Let me share with you the insight of Rabbi Yeshayahu Horowitz, known as the Shalah HaKadosh. He lived in the 1600s in Tzfat. And he points out that this practice of inviting guests into our home and making strangers feel welcome in our home, this is not only something that we do for another, it should also have an impact on our own spiritual life because it should allow me to focus on the fact that 
The truth is, we are all guests in God's home. We are all travelers through this world. And we are guests. And we want God to treat us with compassion, with favor, with generosity. So, of course, we need to do the same to those who come into our orbit, who come into our home. But it should be something that allows us to focus on the fact that we are ourselves guests in God's home. And to earn the treatment that we want from our host, we need to think about the way we treat our guests. And I think that many of us can relate to this, especially now, as we sit at our own smaller dinner table. We are all guests of God. And let me add a further dimension to this. A famous story about the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Merkagin of Radin. He was the greatest Torah leader in the early 1900s. And he lived in this tiny town of Radin in Poland, near Lithuania. The Chavetz Chaim was so poor, he did not have a single piece of furniture that was not in some way broken. He certainly did not have two pieces of furniture that matched each other. He lived in abject poverty. Once it happened that a wealthy traveler came through town and came to visit the Chavetz Chaim because the Chavetz Chaim was renowned around the world as the leader of the Jewish people at his time. So this wealthy man comes to visit him and he comes into the Chavetz Chaim's home and he sits down on a chair that really is almost a little bit broken and he says to the Chavetz Chaim, he says, I don't understand. You're the greatest rabbi in the world today. How can you live like this? How can you live among such sparse settings? Where is all of your stuff? Where are your possessions that we would expect you to have? So the Chavetz Chaim says to this gentleman, he says, tell me, you're a very wealthy man. Tell me, why didn't you bring your furniture? Where is your, where are your possessions? You came into my home with a small suitcase. Where is everything that you own? So the man said, well, of course, I'm just traveling. All of my stuff is at home. I'm just traveling through. So I'm only carrying a little bit. The Chafetz Chaim said, I am also only traveling through this world. I am a guest in God's home. I only need a little bit to get me through this journey. The rest of my things are waiting for me at a time in the future. And I think that that's an insight, a way of looking at our situation that can really change our point of view. But I want to share with you an even deeper understanding that holds a powerful insight for every one of us, especially now. So, 
If you look at the beginning of the Parsha, so in the Stone Chumash, I'm on page 78, the beginning of the Parsha Vayera, chapter 18, Pasuk number 1, top of the page, Vayera Elav Hashem Be'elonei Mamre, God appeared to Avraham in the plains of Mamre, Avram was sitting in the doorway to his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw he saw three what appeared to him to be people walking by in the distance, and he ran to greet them from the door of his house. He ran to greet them, and we know, to invite them in to be his guests. And then the rest of the story continues. But there's something very strange, which I've shared with some of you before. God appears to Avram. God is encountering Avram. Avraham is experiencing God's presence. I don't know about you. I've never experienced God's presence openly and clearly in such a way. I have no idea what the experience is like, but I can only imagine that it is completely overwhelming. And faced with the opportunity to be able to speak to God, Vayera Elav Hashem, God appeared to him. And you know how sometimes you're talking to somebody and they're looking over your shoulder because they're really looking for the next person they want to talk to? Avram sees three strangers walking by. And apparently he interrupts his conversation with God to go speak to these strangers who are walking by. I mean, it boggles the mind. I mean, first of all, is that is that right? Is that the right thing to do? But could anybody imagine if 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 you were actually speaking directly to God, would you interrupt to speak to somebody else? So, our sages famously tell us in the Talmud. From here we learn Gedola Hachnasas Archim. It is greater to greet guests and to invite them into your home that is greater than an encounter with God. Okay, that's amazing. That's a fantastic, extraordinary lesson that Avram is willing to put God on hold because there's an even higher purpose that an encounter with God, even higher than that, is welcoming guests. That's amazing. That's incredible. The problem with that is, for us, how do we derive any meaning from that? Because, again, maybe you have encountered God. I don't know. I certainly have not in a direct, open manner. I've never had that kind of revelation of God's presence. What am I supposed to learn from Avraham if I've never had any similar kind of experience? How do I derive anything from what Avraham does? So I want you please to listen 
to an incredible story from Bailey Newman, who I've quoted to you a couple of times recently. And this story transmits a deeper understanding of this lesson. Now, Bailey, at the time that she wrote this, had a job as a school counselor. And her job is when kids are having trouble, having problems. She was working in a Jewish school. They would send them to the counselor's office to talk it out. And she tells the story one day of a young boy. We'll make up a name. Let's call him Danny. And Danny came into her office and he was broken. He had been berated. He had had one of those mornings. The school morning, the day starts with tefillah, with davening, prayer. So all the kids have to daven. Danny did not get a gold star in tefillah that morning. In fact, he was asked to leave the room. Because while everybody else was busy with prayers, Danny was doodling. He was writing on some papers. And even after his name was put up in the board, indicating that he was being unfocused, he refused to put the paper away. He refused to put the pen down. And he was sent to the counselor's office. And he comes into Bailey Newman's office and she says to him, Danny, tell me, what's going on? And he starts to cry. And he tells her the following story. He says, yesterday, during recess, there were three boys in my class that were teasing another boy, we'll call him Yoni. They were teasing him about his blue hat. He was wearing a blue hat. And they were making fun of him. And I didn't say anything. I didn't help out my friend Yoni. I knew it was wrong, but I watched what was happening and I did nothing. So this morning, during davening, during tefillah, I was writing Yoni a letter to tell him that I like his hat and I hope that my mother would get me a hat just like his blue hat. Bailey, the school counselor, was so moved by the incredible refinement of character of this little boy that she opened her sticker drawer and she took out a gold star to give Danny. But here's the crucial point. She did not give Danny the sticker because of his kindness or his compassion or his empathy. She gave him a gold star for his prayer. Because what is prayer? 
At its core, prayer is being one with God. Now, yes, it's true. You have a Jewish school and kids go to school. They do have to learn how to daven. You have to learn how to say the words. You have to learn how to stand, how to stand, how to sit, what to do. Yes, yes, that is it. That is certainly crucial. That is certainly important. But what Danny was doing was not interrupting prayer, even if you would claim interrupting prayer for a higher purpose. That's not the point. Danny was praying. By writing a letter to his friend, that was an act that brought Danny closer to God. That is prayer. Prayer is being one with God. With every letter we write to the yonis of the world about liking their blue hats, God is revealed to us. When we say that we're sorry for not standing up for the yonis of the world when we should have, we are engaged in an encounter with God. When Avraham greets guests and welcomes them into his home, he is not just interrupting his encounter with God. He's not just interrupting it for some other higher purpose. He is in conversation with God at that moment. As he utters the words of welcome to these strangers, he is encountering God. What Avram teaches us is that we must see God everywhere and hear God in all things and in all places. And this understanding is based on Maharal, one of the great sages from Prague. He explains that welcoming guests is tantamount to honoring God, to welcome a guest into your home and treat him with respect because he or she is created in the likeness and image of God. This is considered like honoring God. When a human guest stands before me, I have the potential to attach myself to the image of God that is before me. When we truly see Yoni, we see God. What Avram did was not postpone the theological encounter in favor of the ethical. What Avram did was far more radical than that. It is the ethical realization and attainment and performance of the theological. Walking towards one's guests is walking towards God. Walking towards one's guests is seeing God everywhere, in everyone. It is witnessing the living, breathing revelation of the divine in all things. 
So this week, instead of focusing on how we are unable to emulate Avraham by inviting guests into our home, let's focus on widening our understanding of what it means to see God everywhere, in everyone, in every ethical act we perform. Let's move now to the other mitzvah that I mentioned. Vayera elav Hashem, God appeared to Avram, the beginning of our parsha. Why did God appear to Avraham? Rashi says, as I mentioned before, to fulfill the mitzvah, Bikr Cholim, to visit someone who was sick, who was injured. What was wrong with Avraham that he needed a visit from God? Rashi says, it was the third day after his bris. At the end of last week's parsha, God commands Avraham in the midst of circumcision. And Avraham, circumcises himself at a very advanced age. And Rashi says, it was the third day after his bris, Avraham was in pain, and God came to visit him to cheer him up to make him feel better. Why specifically the third day after the bris? Why not the second day? Why not the fourth day? So Rashi gives us a medical reason I'm not a doctor, but I think it has some recognized truth even today. Rashi says that the third day after an operation is the most painful. That's the day that a person suffers the most from an operation on day three. So that was the day to visit. That was the day that Avram needed cheering up. And so God visits on the third day. Okay. That's Rashi's understanding of how this passage unfolds. Rabbi Shlomo Karabach gives a deeper answer. It's not a medical answer. It's an emotional answer. And it goes like this. Avraham giving himself a bris, circumcision, that is a radical act. It's a holy act, but it is a radical act. On the first day, you do something holy, radically holy. You're energized. You're radiant. You're enthusiastic about this gigantic step you have taken. On the second day, you're a little bit more calm, you're somewhat more even. On the third day, you may start to regret what you did. There's a term for this, buyer's regret. And it applies in every area of life when we extend ourselves beyond our comfort zone. A person gives a generous donation, just a little bit more than they feel that they can comfortably afford. Someone commits to an involved act of kindness and it turns out it's just a little bit more involved than I thought it was going to be when I agreed to it. 
A person plans on a change in their routine or their character or a new direction in life. We see an example of this later in our Parsha, the famous narrative of Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. What God asks of Abraham near the end of our Parsha, and of Yitzchak, of course, that Avram be willing to sacrifice his son on an altar is so immense, it's so overwhelming. And the Torah tells us Avram agrees immediately. Hineni, here I am, I'm ready. But then the Torah tells us, Vayihi bayom hashlishi, and it was on the third day after they had journeyed, Avraham and Yitzchak together, they had journeyed for three days. Why does the actual event happen on the third day? Because God understood that Avraham would be energized by God appearing to him and may have been overwhelmed by the experience. And when he agreed to this impossible command, maybe he did it out of a sense of enthusiasm of the moment. But on the third day, after Abraham is thinking calmly and walking with Yitzchak to their destination, that's the real test. Will Avram still do the impossible that God commanded three days earlier? But Avraham had already experienced a third day. Our passage at the beginning of the Parsha is the third day after his bris. And the reason God comes to Avram at the beginning of our Parsha is to bestow on Avraham and through Avraham to his descendants, to you and to me, to every one of us, the strength to overcome the challenge of the third day. Any third day. Every time we may start to regret a spiritual advance we have put into motion, every one of us has third day moments in all areas of life. It's normal. And when it happens, when we start to feel regret, when we start to feel, why did I commit to that? Why did I agree to that? Why did I start that? Remember what God gave Avraham. And through Avraham, God gave every one of us the reassurance and the strength of conviction to continue to live up to our highest impulse to never regret anything that makes us better, that makes us holier.
Let me share one last piece. <coughs> so, in the middle of the parsha is a famous passage in the Stone Chumash. I'm going to start on page 82, which is chapter 18, Yudches, starting with Pasuk Chaf, number 20. Vayomer Hashem, God says, Zakas Sedom va'amara kiraba v'chatosam kichav d'ma'od. The cry of wickedness arises from the cities of Sedom and Amora. I'm going to descend and see what's going on there. Vayigash Avram vayomar. But Avraham spoke up. And Avram says to God, You mean you're going to kill the righteous along with the wicked? God forbid that you, God, should do such a thing. To kill the righteous together with the wicked. The righteous should be treated the same as the wicked? God forbid that you, the judge of the entire world, should judge unjustly, God, Avram says to God. How could you possibly destroy the entire city? It seems that Avram, at least on the surface, is not so good at bargaining. God says to Avram, I'm going to destroy the cities Sodom and Amorah. All the people there will be killed. Avraham responds, how could you do such a thing to kill the righteous together with the wicked? But I purposefully left out one Pusik in the middle. Pusik Chaf Dalid, number 24. In the middle, Avram says, Ulai yesh chamishim sadikim besokhoir. Maybe there are 50 righteous people in the city. Won't you save the entire city because of these 50 righteous people? Okay, we know how the passage goes on. Avraham bargains with God, 50, 40, 30, and finally 10. Will you not save the entire city if there are 10 righteous people in the city? Wait a second. Hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Let's try to follow the logic here. First, Avram says it's unjust to kill the righteous together with the wicked. Okay, if it's unjust to kill the righteous with the wicked, save the righteous and punish the wicked. I mean, that's the logical consequence of what Avram himself says. Where in the world does Avram get this idea that if there are 50 or even if there are 10 righteous people in the city, that that should mean to save the entire city? I mean, that's also not just. Justice would seem to be served by rewarding the righteous and punishing the wicked. If Avram is arguing for God's justice, what sense does it make to say that the whole city should be saved because of these 
few individual righteous people. So I want to share with you the approach of Rabbi Shamshra Fal Hirsch. Let's read again carefully the words that Avram says to God. Maybe there are 50 righteous people, or by the time we get to the end of the passage, 10 righteous people, in the midst of the city. What does that mean, in the midst of the city? 10 righteous people in the city? Says Rav Hirsch, it's not just the presence of a few righteous people in the city that can save the entire city. If it's just a few righteous people, save the righteous people, the wicked people will be punished. Avram is talking about a different category of people. Avram is talking about people who are not only righteous, but they are righteous in the midst of the city, involved with the inhabitants of the city, reaching out to the inhabitants of the city. People who are encouraging, persuading, influencing others. In defining such a person, Hirsch says, he or she takes everybody to heart. He never despairs, is never tired of trying, however distant the hope of success may be, to try to influence a person to be better, to turn away from wickedness. For 50 of these people, or even for 10 of these people, it is worth saving the entire city because through them, the entire city can be transformed. That's the logic of Avraham's reasoning. You can warm yourself from the cold by lighting a fire. You will be warm and comfortable and everyone around you will also be warm and comfortable. You can also warm yourself from the cold by putting on a heavy fur coat. You will be very warm and comfortable, but everyone around you will still be cold. That's the meaning of the great Yiddish phrase, a tzaddik impelts, which literally means a righteous person wrapped up in a fur coat. What it means is a person who is a tzaddik, they're righteous, but they're only concerned about their own religiosity. They're only concerned about their own spirituality. They're only concerned about their own spiritual warmth. Such a person would not qualify for Avraham's standard of in the midst of the city, engaging and influencing others. We need to be that kind of a person. We need to be the kind of a person to those around us that is besolchair, not a tzaddik in pelts. We desperately need people today who are besolchair, who are involved. Our world, our community, our social circle 
our family. We are desperate for influencers, for good, role models that we can relate to for good. We cannot afford today people with goodness who keep it to themselves, who warm only themselves. There's another great Yiddish expression. Everyone makes their own little chalant. You make your own little chalant for yourself. It's delicious. But the world needs you to make a big chalant. Okay, so today I mean this in a metaphoric sense. The world needs a big challenge that you can share, that can warm others, that can lift up others. Don't be a tzaddik in pelts. Don't make your own small challenge just for yourself. We all need the light of the goodness that you have. My friends, I want to thank you very, very much. I want to wish you a great evening, a fantastic Shabbos, and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.